Attention Guilford County, are you ready for positive change in our schools? Introducing Bill Goble, a true champion for our students, parents, and teachers. With years of experience and unwavering dedication, Bill Goble is the leader we need on the school board. As a current member representing District 3, Bill is already making a difference, shaping policies that benefit our community. Vote for Bill Goble for school board, and let's build a brighter future for Guilford County together. Paid for by the committee to elect Bill Goble for school board. Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Do men, African-American men in particular, do we die prematurely? Now I'm asking this question to a white guy. Do we die prematurely because we're not getting checked? So let's face it, 128 million Americans are impacted by cardiovascular disease. Wow. A super high number. And I said, no, what happened? He said, well, he had a heart attack. And I looked at him, I said, one of two things is happening. He's having a stroke or he's having a heart attack. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God, just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, a lot of times we have so many things we ask you for, but we just want to slow down a minute just to say thank you. Thank you for all of our family members, those who are going through trials and tribulations with their health. And we thank you for all the family members who are doing just fine. God, we just say, you know all, we don't have to tell you all, but continue to cover us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray and believe, amen. Amen, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up all those folks that are having health challenges. We know many, many folks that have... uh, that are fighting uh, heart disease and other ailments. And Lord, we just lift them up and we ask that uh, you give them some peace and some rest and the doctors give them the right diagnosis so that they are feeling better and get well. Amen. Amen. I'd love to pray for our opportunity that we have to have our words guide communities that we serve to understand what their risk factors are for heart disease and that this time together will help us to promote health equity and community health for for all. Amen. Bill, 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 guess what? What? Your good looking black guy from the dirt roads of South Carolina did it again. You lost more weight? No, I lost a little more weight. We're going to talk about that, but let me tell you what happened, Bill. You know, growing up in the hood like I did, 
and the dirt roads of South Carolina on grandma's porch. So we hear all the things about sugar diabetes. You ever heard of sugar? Bill, black folks said we got sugar. You ever heard of that? I've never heard it described that way. People, particularly my wife, calls me sugar. Oh, listen, we ain't talking about <laughs> you. We talk about sugar diabetes. Okay. But your boy, your boy went on a went on a kind of a, a crusade about 12 years ago. I decided that as the head of the household and as a father and a husband and a grandfather, wasn't a grandfather at the time, I was going to take care of myself. So, Bill, I go and get an annual physical every year, and, and it's simple. It's simple. I just trot in there, and they put me on the scale and knew, you know, since I lost 60, 70 pounds, the scale, no problem. They check the blood pressure, no problem. Then they take me in this room, Bill, and they start checking after they make sure I have insurance. Then they start checking these things and ask me a bunch of questions. And, Bill, I think we're going somewhere with the questions because I think they're trying to find something out. So the doctor comes in and he asks a question. He said, let me just check your, you know, breathe in, breathe out. I'm good with that. And then he says, let me check your tummy. Well, you know, if you lost 60, 70 pounds, I got a little more than the tummy here. And then the magic words, Bill, he says, drop him, Bill, drop him, drop him, drop him. So you dropped your socks? No, 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 no. So he says, drop your underwear, Bill. And, and, and understand now, I'm coming from a culture in the hood mm-hmm. where men's health and staying healthy is not, we don't talk about it. You know, we don't talk about this type of thing. So I go and he checks and say, cough, cough, cough. Then he says, turn around, Bill. He says, turn around, Bill, turn around. So I turn around. I change doctors right now. I know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Bill, I hear this thing say, Kloosh. sound like uh, two Bill with some lubricant, right? So he says, I'm going to check your prostate. Now, see, Bill, that's a problem for me from where I'm from. Checking one's prostate. We don't do that in the hood, Bill. We don't do that. Now, usually when I go and they take blood, they say, well, it's going to be a little pinch or sting. But that prostate thing, he didn't say anything, Bill. He didn't say anything. So he went on examine my prostate, Bill. And he says, well, it feels like the size of a walnut. But it's not hard. It's firm and all this good stuff. So you don't have prostate cancer. Then they went on and did my you know, check my blood and all that. But Bill, if I didn't want to live and if I didn't have the responsibilities of being a husband and a father and now a grandfather, is no way I would allow him to check my prostate, Bill. Because I asked myself the question, Bill, I said, how do you check one's prostate? Is it a one-finger job, a two-finger job, a three-finger job? And if he says like a walnut, is it five fingers, Bill? Will he check in like a walnut? What's going on, Bill? Because I never look back. Hmm. Have you ever had your prostate checked, Bill? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I get the PSA test now. And that's a blood test. And so it comes as part of my regimen. So I don't have to have that. I get both. So what's going on, man? I get the physical and the... You're special. You're special. That's the only thing I could figure. The, uh, you know, I I don't do that because I had a high PSA. I still do. It's been high for probably 15 years. Four is considered really high. Uh huh. Mine's at 12. Mine's at like one. Yeah, it, well, that's that? healthy. That's yeah. You good shape. You're in good shape. Well, yeah, well, I haven't seen one since I was about 12. So let me ask a question, Bill. Why as men, we're men. Why don't men? Why don't we take care of our health? You know, I, I do this post every morning on Facebook. I go, me and the wife, almost every morning. You know, you're getting so excited. You're 
glasses are fogging. Up. I know, man, because this <laughs> thing is this thing is real to me. Think about it. Do men, African-American men in particular, do we die prematurely? Now, I'm asking this question to a white guy. Do we die prematurely because we're not getting checked? Well, you know, I think, why is it that men don't want to get checked? Don't go to doctors. Don't do their regular annual physical. Why is it? And even when we get sick, you know, the wife say, oh, you need to go to the doctor. Oh, no, I'm fine. Just give me another <laughs> give me another aspirin, you know, or something, you know. Give me a Tylenol. Yeah, give me a Tylenol. Yeah, what the heck is with that? I think it's something, and we have an expert on today who can help us. But before we get to our expert, and I know you will introduce her, the good doctor, but it's one of those situations, Bill, where we go and I post usually walk 4.2 miles a day, having fun getting healthy. That's mm -hmm. the outside, you yep, know, the yep. outside part of it. But when we start looking on the inside, how do we examine the inside? How do we know if we have high blood pressure or not? How do we know if we have heart disease or not? Because that's what's killing us, Bill. You know, I know that I'm hard of hearing. I've been hunting my whole life, you know, out in the woods, hunting, shotguns. Yeah. So I can't hear. My wife says, why, did, why is remote so loud? Because I can't hear. <laughs> you know, I know if I can't see, I go and go from there. I know I go to the dentist. But what is it about the other parts, Bill, that's killing us? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, in February this month is American Heart Month as well as Black History Month. And I find it interesting that hypertension and heart disease and strokes is higher in the black community than the white community. Now, why is that? It is a hereditary thing. Is it a gene thing or is it a dietary thing. Bill, I'm just a good looking black guy who gets his prostate checked once a year. So I don't have the answer. <laughs> but we have someone who's come can a long the way from up. that and heart disease. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I don't think the two are connected. I don't know, Bill. You can ask the doctor. Let's go. Go ahead. Introduce her. Yes, this is Dr. Gregory with the Novant Health. Doctor, how you doing? Hey there. How are you? Are you finished laughing at me, doctor? Are you okay with laughing at me? But the key is, as men of color and men in general, why do we die from heart disease? Why do we die so much from, you know, type 2 diabetes? Help us understand what do we need to do to be responsible husbands, fathers, grandfathers, because we have to take this on ourselves. Can you help us out, doc? Well, first, I so appreciated your conversation and your your honesty with, with each other. So there are clinical risk factors that impact the African-American community. But before we talk about that, I think it's really important to understand that 80% of health outcomes are really related to something that we call social determinants of health and health behavior. So social determinants of health are the non-medical factors that influence health outcomes where we are born, grow, work, pray. Often these wider set of, of forces and, and systems like education and economics and the neighborhoods that we grow up in and live in and the social context. And in many ways, it is a lack of knowledge in some communities about risk factors. And so what often happens is with those challenges, people don't realize that they need to see a doctor. And if you don't see a doctor, then you may not be diagnosed with high blood pressure, which is often seen over half of Black adults have high blood pressure, for instance. Diabetes and being overweight, our body image and self-understanding of what is really healthy for our height um, is often different from what is accurate and what the American Heart Association talks about. High cholesterol and stress 
is often seen more um, in the African-American community. Nearly about 30% of Black Americans have high cholesterol levels, what we call the BAD or the LDL cholesterol. Um, sickle cell anemia is more prevalent in African-American patients also, which can put us at risk for, for stroke. I have a question about sickle cell. This is, sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Is that uh, more prevalent in men or women of color? It is prevalent in the African-American community in general, more than other communities. Okay. Um, and it's often a, a challenge that we see young in life. And then as patients mature in age, they become more at risk for strokes. We even see strokes in, in children who suffer from sickle cell anemia. Holy cow. So wow. it doesn't matter about the gender. It's more of the heritage, I guess. Yes, not necessarily. And a lot of it has to do with access to care for patients with sickle cell anemia. It's a very unique patient population. Mm -hmm. And so often, if you are in rural areas, my family's from Mahoskey, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And so having centers that focus on and specialize in the treatment of sickle cell anemia is not something that you often see in many areas, even in urban areas. It's really an area that requires specialty care in order to be able to ensure that people do well with sickle cell anemia diagnosis. You know, for our viewers that don't know what's what exactly it is, can you give us a brief explanation? Yeah, so it's a common genetic disorder that's often seen in African-Americans. Basically, there's a shape of the blood cell that makes it healthy and easier for it to move through the blood vessels. And when we say it's sickled, it means that that shape of the blood cell is abnormal. And so the flow of the blood the ability to carry oxygen and um, all of the great things that blood cells carry from one place to another becomes impaired as a result of the sickling of that cell. Wow. And then those sickled cells can um, accumulate and connect together to clog up blood vessels and make clots that put you at risk for, for stroke, put you at risk for significant bone pain as a result of the lack of oxygen that travels from one place or another. Wow. I had no idea. I mean, I've heard of it, but I didn't know it was uh, that complex and caused that kind of issues. Holy cow. Well, I interrupted you, so please keep on. I think the other thing that we've talked about in communities is the ability to understand what too much of a, of a good thing is. So eating healthy foods, knowing which foods have salt content in them. I often think, I often say to my patients that some foods are kind of sneaky. You don't think about them being salty because they're not advertised as being salt covered, but they can have a lot of salt in them. So you have a great salad, but then you have salad dressing that has a lot of sodium in it. And so yeah. often it takes uh, looking at labels and understanding the foods that we're eating and having access to healthy foods is also really important. Yeah. I think the access thing is a big thing too, because you know these food deserts are in certain communities and the only thing available to them might be a local convenience store or family dollar or dollar general. And uh, they're not known for carrying produce. That's correct. And I, we, we have seen correlations with people that do not have access to, to healthy foods or the food that they have access to when it's healthy is more expensive because the area in which they live only have one market. So if you have areas that have many markets and there's that competition between markets that often drives down the price of food and gives you the opportunity to have a better quality foods. You know, it's interesting, doctor. One of the things you talk about for the show was health equity. And, you know, when I say health equity, a lot of our listening audience may think 
they understand what's meant by that. But two questions. Can you explain what health equity is from your perspective and also how to prevent what's the prevention of heart disease and strokes? Because stroke is very near and dear to me. Can you share, please? Yeah. So when we talk about health equity at Novant Health, it really is the highest level, the ability to attain the highest level of health equitably across communities, regardless of how you self-identify racially, how where you live, the job that you have, any dimension of diversity that you have, you shouldn't be less likely to attain wellness and to be able to live your fullest life. So when we think about health equity, we often think about the fact that equality and equity are very different. So Mm. you can give everyone the exact same thing, but not everyone of our patients and people in our communities need the exact same thing. In many instances, someone may need additional education or access to transportation or more access to food and shelter. And so when we talk about equity, it's really being able to provide that individualized and personalized care to address the needs of patients. And then to answer your question about what puts people most at risk, I often say that 80% of the, the outcomes that we see in patients have a lot to do with our ability to be able to have community partnerships to align with what our community needs most, what each of our individual patients needs. So that may mean that we have to identify resources for nutritious food or transportation um, to be able to speak to individuals in the community with at the health literacy that they will understand what puts them at at risk for for stroke. So those things that we talked about as risk factors, um, many of them are preventable causes for heart disease. 80% of heart disease is thought of as preventable. And a lot of that has to do with access to the appropriate care and resources that we need and understanding that we need to address those risk factors. Did you say 80% is preventable? Yes. We talk about modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors, uh, which is really just a fancy term for there are some things that we are born with, like our family history, for instance. These are things that we can't change, but our ability to be able to lead lives that are not sedentary, decisions to not smoke, the ability to be able to eat nutritious foods when we have access to those, Mm -hmm. to be able to address our blood sugar and our cholesterol. When you have access to good health care and primary care physicians that can help guide that work, much of what we think about when we talk about heart disease and stroke is preventable. Wow. Holy cow. So how, so how you get how are you getting the word out more or less? Because I'm a pastor in the faith community and very large uh, African American church. Where are the platforms that Novant Health yourself uses to get to the African American community? Because it appears that you know cardiovascular disease impacts everyone in the community equally, or does it hit some? pockets of the population harder. And I would think that it hits the African-American community harder, but maybe I'm wrong because I always thought that based on what I've learned about social determinants of health and other things that based on your zip code may determine the difference in seven to 10 years of the length of one's life. Yeah, great question. So to level set, we live in the stroke belt or the heart 
disease belt. So the southeast uh, region of the country is at higher risk for for stroke. Across the country, 60% of non-Hispanic Black men and women have some form of, of cardiovascular disease. So you're absolutely right. There are racial groups that experience a higher prevalence of stroke and and heart disease. And one of the things that I, that's um, really important is that many people don't know they're at risk. So if we sit in doctor's offices and wait for people to come, they don't come because they don't think that they have something to that they're at risk for, that they're sick. So one of the things that Novant Health believes very strongly in doing is having community partnerships. So we meet people where they are in churches and in their workplaces. We service communities that are very rural. So we have mobile units, a fleet of mobile units that go out into rural areas and urban areas where people don't often have access to care and really connect with people like yourself that are trusted partners in the community. One of the things that we know is really important, particularly in the African-American community, is what their religious leaders um, suggest and think about healthcare. It's one of the reasons why I love that we're having this conversation because often in the African-American community and, and other communities, religious leaders and their views on healthcare really help determine whether they'll pursue going to see a doctor and taking the medication and following the recommendations of physicians when they get them. So you're saying my interpretation of the scripture and the text is that Odell as a pastor and you laugh and try to make it funny about one getting their prostate examined or going to an annual physical. I do it in a humorous way on purpose, but at the same time, I think that affects when you talk to other black men, they can identify. Absolutely. I think that comfort level is really important. That's one of the ways that trusted partners become trusted partners. You talk about many topics in a way that people understand, um, that people feel comfortable with. People will begin to ask questions. And we love it at Novant Health to be a part of those conversations to um, relax and sit back and hear the community voice. That's really when people share their biggest concerns and fears. And that's how we understand the things that we need to build into our conversations to be able to reach the communities that we serve and to help them understand in plain language um, how they are at risk and how they can be empowered to address those risk factors so that they don't have to turn out to be a statistic. Right. Well, how's the relationship between Novon Health and American Heart Association, though? That's, that seems to be a very powerful partner. Can you explain a little bit of that relationship, please? Yes, I've been with Novant Health since 2004 and in the triad region. Uh, the American Heart Association has been an incredible partner in the work that we've done to build primary and uh, comprehensive stroke centers and to go into the communities with education that is directed towards many communities that are most at risk. We have a health equity partnership uh, that we just launched over the next three years that um, engages much of what we talked about, community partnerships and connections, our mobile units to be able to do, we call it the remarkable use screenings because we mm. believe that when people understand what their numbers are, they have the opportunity to be their most remarkable selves, to be able to, as you said, be a dad and to see those important things in life, the graduations and seeing grandchildren come into the world 
That's the remarkable experience. And that's what we want for our communities. And the way that we do that is leveraging a lot of the American Heart Association education materials and the data that really tells our communities when they're at risk. Let's face it, 128 million Americans are impacted by cardiovascular disease. Wow. Super high number. And many of them live in this region of the country. Well, so, Bill, do you know your numbers? Yeah, they're, uh, my cholesterol numbers are low because I take a statin. Our family actually is one of those people that makes cholesterol. Well, let me ask a question. As opposed to eating it. Now, black people say we big bonded. When you start talking about weight, we big bonded. Do white people say you big bonded? No, I just say you're big. <laughs> the, uh, hey, doctor, I have, I do have a question. The, uh, <laughs> you are wild, Bobo. You are wild. <laughs> the, uh, hey, doctor, the... Uh, where could they get more information if they want to learn more about this? So one of the things that we always recommend is going to the American Heart Association website in order to be able to get information that they need. They're great resources, everything from recipes and ways to change your favorite foods to foods that are healthier for you to eat. And then also um, www.novonhealth.com. Org. One of the things that we want to be sure is that everybody has a primary care doctor, which is incredibly important. And you may be healthy, but you want to stay healthy as you mature in age. And some people already know that they're not healthy. And you know, we're one click away from really starting that journey to, to being healthier. Yes. Uh, the other thing is that I think will be useful for our listeners is what are the signs for heart attack and stroke? So one of the things that we say for stroke is it's a, it's a little bit of an acronym, FAST. So if your face is drooping or changing, if your arm is weak on one side, if you're having trouble with your speech, it's time, T, uh, to call 911. For a heart attack, it could be chest pain or chest pressure, sweating. Sometimes that pain goes into your arm. I will say that for women, they don't always present with the same symptoms. They can be a little bit atypical. So it may just be a pain in their in their face or a little bit of nausea and vomiting. And so one of the things that's important is calling 911. You talked about different communities not seeking help. We also have learned over time that African-American communities and women are less likely to call 911 if they think they're having a heart attack and may choose to not seek help, or if they seek help, choose to come in a private vehicle where care cannot be initiated right away, hmm. the same way it can if you're partnered with some of our EMS partners um, in the community so that they can start care immediately if you're having signs and symptoms. You know, I just had an example of that. I was at a Boy Scout event on uh, Sunday, and uh, one of the fellows that we go to breakfast with on Saturday is a group of scouts said, hey, did you hear about Gaither? And I said, no, what happened? He said, well, he had a heart attack. I mm. said, you're kidding. Mm. He said, uh, but the thing that Gaither, when he says, I saw Gaither, he said he didn't feel good. He went to the bathroom, came back. And I looked at him. I said, one of two things has happened. He's having a stroke or he's having a heart attack. Mm. So we immediately called 911. And he said, no, 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 just drive me to the hospital. Well, they said no. And 911 was there very quickly. And they took him to the hospital. Well, when he got out of the hospital, he called up his buddy that called 911 and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because when the EMS got there, they were going to take his vitals. They were going to see what's going on. They could uh, administer some aid. But 
they also had the hospital ready for him when he got there. He said, if you'd have driven me in a car, I'd have gotten out of the car and probably walked into the emergency room, maybe, if I could have made it. And then I would have had to sign in and do all that other stuff. He says, but by calling the EMS, everything had was prearranged. So when I got there, they were ready for me. That's, I love I, that story. Yes, that's powerful. Doctor, let me ask you a quick question. Do you have any personal experience or family history with heart disease or stroke? Yes, I believe that's one of the biggest reasons for my my advocacy in this space. My Both of my grandmothers um, had heart attacks. My father, um, who is wow. still living, has uh, high blood pressure, and he suffered from aortic valve disease and had to have um, his valve repaired. I remember when I was a medical student, I was a freshman, and so many of my aunts, particularly those that lived in uh, rural areas, died during my first year of, of wow. medical school. And I remember being feeling different from a lot of the other students in my class. And much of that had to do with the fact that my family was from a rural area and didn't have access to health care, that we were African-American and at higher risk for for heart disease. So my life has been impacted by cardiovascular disease. My cousin was 33 years old when he lost his life to cardiovascular disease. You know, it's interesting. You didn't say being poor. So let me share an experience I had that affected my life. Uh, my mother had a, a massive stroke and they took her to the emergency room. We were in Charleston, South Carolina, living in public housing. And they took her to the medical university, which is about five minutes down the road. So she went there, EMS came, took her there, and they sent her home. They wouldn't admit her because anyone who knows anything about strokes, seconds counts, minutes counts, hours counts. So they told her to come back on the free clinic day. Now, my mother was working for Manhattan Shirt Factory. She had insurance, but the physician, admitting physician at the time, sent her home. And she stayed there for two days. And my grandmother's doctor, he was a Jewish guy, he came over, did a house call and looked at my mother and said it's a stroke and just took her back and argued with the same person that they finally admitted my mother and she stayed there for three months. Now, as a boy, that has affected me my whole life. So now my mother's still alive, but she's been paralyzed. And the fact that and I'm not saying racism, but I'm saying, though, bias, prejudice and stereotypes plays a major role or played a role in this situation that I'm personally talking about my mother. And, you know, Bill, I'm from the project, so I could talk about my mother, but you can't talk about my mother now. I promise I won't. Thank you. So I'm just saying when I see it through those lenses, I'm not going to unsee what I know. And I think that in some cases when African-Americans come into the emergency room, it's different than when others come into the emergency room. Any comment or do you care to comment on that, doctor? That's why we have a chief health equity officer at Novant Health. We, we want to be sure that the care and the clinical outcomes that all of our patients have, regardless of their race, ethnicity, their sexual orientation, gender identity, where they come from, their socioeconomic background, whether they have insurance or not, that those outcomes are the same. We study that actively to ensure that the outcomes are the same. And you are absolutely right. In healthcare, there is 
implicit bias. I often say to communities of providers as I'm educating them that if we all take a deep breath and hold our breath and everybody, anyone in the room that can hold it for the next 24 hours, then you're good. I'm not talking to you, but the rest of us, (laughs) (laughs) we we all have bias. And I think the important part to understand is that that bias the outcome of the bias can be mitigated. And it, part of it is around awareness of making assumptions about, about groups of people and being sure that we're constantly holding ourselves accountable to look at clinical outcomes, to be sure that everyone truly has that opportunity to attain the highest level of wellness. I'm going to share one last thing and then I'll, not one last thing, but just just something. And I know the listening audience will say, oh, there, you have lost your mind. Well, you haven't figured that out over the last year. <laughs> but I went to the doctor and you you have this, you know, annual physical, I stated that and you have this thing called my charts. OK. And so my charts, you come in and they ask you to stand there and they take a picture, Bill. And so one day I knew I was going to get the examination. So I came in sweats in a hoodie. So I sat there and the lady, I wasn't thinking, Bill. I wasn't thinking. I had my guard down. The black man had his guard down. So I went in there. The lady said, well, take a picture. And I took a picture, right? So later on, I was looking at my chart because there's a picture of you. And I said, oh, my God, they got me in there in a hoodie coming to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Yes, exactly. So I went and said, well, I need to change this picture. And they said at those times, doctor, you couldn't change the picture on my chart. So I went and found a vice president. My wife's a vice president at the hospital. So I found um, another young lady, explained my situation. And she said, send me the picture you want and I'll change it. So I would put my business profile picture there. And years later, and this sounds silly, but it's true. Because I know what happened to poor black folk when they go to the hospital and they can't talk or they're unconscious or someone just looks and sees then you deal with that. Years later, I was passing a stone. Oh, another experience, Bill. And the doctors and the nurses were talking in the emergency room. And they came and asked me when I got ready to be discharged, said, who are you? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, the, the doctors and the nurses were standing around the station and they looked at your picture and they're like, you must be somebody. Hmm. Now, that might not mean anything to you as a white guy, Bill. But I knew what I was talking about when I got that picture changed because it meant something to the type of care and attention that they would give me when they looked at my picture and my chart. Wow. So, Dr. Eli, Odell, you know, lost your mind. But I, that's a true story. And I told my wife when we were sitting there, I said, baby, that's why I changed that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I someone would say, Odell, you're paranoid. I'm not paranoid. I've been living in America my whole life as a black man. And I understand. I do understand. Um, it's a great story. It's a great story. Doctor, I got a, a, another question for our listeners. What is hypertension and how can you mitigate it? So hypertension is one of the most common causes for stroke and heart disease. It's basically the pressure of the blood against the the walls of your, your artery. So they can hypertension can injure the walls of your arteries. It can put stress on your heart. It's very commonly seen in in different groups of of people, particularly African-Americans, and it is treatable. And so one of the things that we say is, and you talked about your numbers, I love when you were talking about your numbers, high blood pressure, according to the American Heart Association, that top number should be less than 120, and the bottom number should be less than 
80. We call it the systolic number and the diastolic number, but it's really just the top number and the bottom number. When we okay. are able Excuse me, doctor, can you say that again? I'm sorry. I went to school in South Carolina in the 60s. So, you know, I didn't, I, I'm not that fast, but what's those numbers again, please? So your top number should be less than 120. Got it. Your bottom number should be less than 80. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Odell, do you know yours? No, that's the bad. I was sitting here saying, I hope nobody asked me the question. What happened? I go in there and they're like, oh, my God, your blood pressure is great. So they say it's great. And I'm like, it's great. But the next time I go in there, Bill, I'm going to know that number. I'm going to write the number down. Yeah, I think that's important to to understand that because when you do go in, they give you your numbers. And in fact, I'm just looking at mine. Do you have your numbers on your phone, Bill? Oh, yeah. I, I got a picture of you on my phone. <laughs> Am I in a hoodie? You're in a hoodie. No, you don't yeah, have a picture of me in a hoodie. You're in a hoodie. No, you don't. No, you don't. Mine mine was uh, 124 over 74. So I guess that's okay. For an old guy? For a 74-year-old guy. Well, wait a minute. Let's ask the doctor. Doctor, for a 75-year-old old guy, is those numbers okay? <laughs> My grandmother would say... It's age over matter. If you don't mind, then age shouldn't matter. Okay. I, it's probably true for blood pressure. So oh, I, like her I have heard people say, well, as you get older, it's okay to have high blood pressure. But people are living longer. And what we realize is that it's important to control blood pressures. And a single blood pressure of 124 is the top number isn't necessarily a problem. What we really like to do is see what your blood pressures are consistently. I often recommend that people take their blood pressures at home, bring your blood pressure cuff to the doctor's office so that we can make sure that that blood pressure cuff is giving you the same number that the doctor's blood pressure uh, cuff is giving you. And then on average, Blood pressures go up and down during the course of the day, but we really would love that number on average to be around 120 as a top number and 80 as the bottom number. Well, uh, the year before it was 127 over 71. So they all stayed relative in there, but I got to get below 120 on that top one. That's a good good point. When you were explaining hypertension, my dad was a plumber part-time, a fireman full-time, but you, know, you think about a hose, a fire hose with the pressure going through it. And what happens is if you put too much pressure on it, it breaks. And that's, I guess, what causes a stroke. That's exactly right. I mean, it puts stresses on the the blood vessels around the heart, the blood vessels in the neck going up to the brain, and then the blood vessels in the brain as well. There are different types of strokes. There's one where you don't get enough blood to the brain that usually comes from some sort of a blood clot or clogging of the arteries. But then there's also bleeding strokes, which can be more dangerous strokes to have. And that is very often related to high blood pressure. Wow. So, doctor, help me. Kidney failure, heart attack, strokes. Is there a sequence? Is like, okay, Odell, kidney fails first, then a heart attack, then a stroke. Are they, uh, do they run in a crowd or individually? Because you talked about the bleeding brain. And then you talked about, you know, what I think my mother had, just a massive stroke to just shut down the whole left parts of her body. And as kids, we used to exercise her hand because her whole hand was kind of, you know, folded back in. And we would exercise her fingers, Bill, thinking that if we exercise her fingers enough, mm-hmm. she could have use of that arm again. Wow. Wow. So, Doc, help me. Is there a sequence or no, Dell is not step one, step two, step three. Because kidney failure is one thing, heart attacks, another thing, strokes, another thing. Can you help a brother out, please? It's a great question. A lot of the risk factors that we talk about, like high blood pressure and diabetes, 
when they go untreated chronically, that often leads to what we call end organ damage, which means your heart can be hurt by it. Your brain can be hurt by it. Your kidneys can be hurt by it. There are some kidney diseases that are not related to uh, these risk factors that we're talking about, but the majority of the time you hear people having challenges with their kidneys, it's often related to the things that are bad for the heart or bad for the brain, and the things that are bad for the heart are also bad for the kidneys. It's probably the best way to describe it. And there are little warning signs. So there's something called prediabetes, when you have the opportunity to catch that you are um, becoming more and more close to that borderline of, of, of having diabetes. And that's when we have still an opportunity to address your blood sugar and watching your, I love what you just said. So I'm, I'm at 124, that's pretty good, but maybe I need to watch. It's the watching mm. uh, that's important for your blood pressure and your blood sugar in order to decrease the most common cause for kidney failure and kidney disease. You know what I do, Odell, around blood pressure, and it may not be the most calibrated equipment, but Walmarts and drugstores have these heart machines, heart blood pressure machines. Walmart and drugstores. Yeah, yeah, like CVS and Walgreens. And you go in, you put your arm in, and you sit there and you press a button and it will measure your blood pressure and your heart rate. Does Walmart and does <clears throat> prostate exams too? Uh, not that I know of, but I'll look for the examination. Room. Okay. Doctor, let me help you. <laughs> let me ask you a question. So kidney failure, heart attack, strokes. So when you start talking about kidneys, you're talking about a urologist, right? Or am I, because I can't, you know, I can't keep them all together. I know, I know primary care doc, but does urologist handle the kidneys? How does, how does that work? So the specialists that take care of kidney disease are nephrologists. See, 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 see. There you go. See, wrong again, Odell. But I'm asking, at least I'm asking the question. Oh, I think it's also important because people um, think about specialists um, as being the the doctor that you have to go to. There are some amazing internal medicine and family medicine doctors that know when to consult specialists, but they're often very much able to take care of blood pressure and blood sugar and and cholesterol. So it's a real partnership between primary care doctors and advanced practice providers and specialists. So as you start to get into more and more complex trouble, those specialists can certainly can certainly help out and manage challenging blood pressure. There are patients that are on four and five different blood pressure medicines because wow. they have really complicated blood pressure. And I have seen cardiology and nephrology and internal medicine and family medicine partner together to try to address some of those patients that have the most challenging risk factors that that really take a, a village of, of providers to figure out how to cure for them. Well, let me ask a question, Mr. Goebel. Since I've got the last question wrong, and I can't even spell the word that the good doctor used, do you remember the word? <laughs> no. Okay. So if you're a doctor, Mr. Goble, and you have a patient, and you tell the patient, you need to lose weight. I don't know if you could even tell people that. Just say, you need to lose weight. You know, they tell you you're obese. Okay. That's not good. But just no, say- it's that's not a good yeah. word. Yeah. So, and you are a doctor, and the person doesn't take care of themselves. Would you continue to give it your all as a doctor if the patient's not giving it their all? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. My dad used to say you, you can lead a horse, but you can't lead to drink water. So you lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You got it. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And uh, 
And I think if an individual is not interested in taking care of themselves, doesn't mean you can't keep trying. I don't think you should give up on them. I think it's important that you point out in a very professional way, what are the consequences of that poor health? Well, let's talk about weight loss real quick, because I've, I've been blessed to able to lose about 70 something pounds. But weight loss is different nowadays. You see stuff on TV, the little pill with the big story to tell or the people who take the shots and, and nothing or get tummy. Doc is a lot of different things and I'm not judging anyone. However, are TV and pharmaceuticals going across the doctors now? Because at one time when I was younger, I was in corporate sales, I used to see pharmaceutical sales reps. I don't see that much anymore. Have the manufacturer went straight to the patients now or to the public. So the public comes in and say, Dr. Gregory, I need this. Is that how it works nowadays? There's a lot of information in the media about easy fixes for for your health and I'll just speak for myself. I actually love it when my patients come in and say, I saw this on TV. I looked it up. So because at least they're asking the question. Good point. Good point. Television can, though, confuse people about what is the best way to address chronic illnesses. And if you'll notice, sometimes with very speedy language, there's a lot of side effects that, that go along with the medications. So they spend a longer, slower period of time sharing uh, the good news, and then maybe don't always highlight some of the side effects. That's where the partnership with the with mm. the provider comes in. Is not every pill is the right pill for you, and not every injection is the right injection for you. Everyone's body is kind of like your fingerprint. There's not going to be another one exactly like it. It's why healthcare needs to be individualized to the patient, and also depends on the other medications that you're on and your family risk factors. So, yes, I do think that the Internet and social media and television provides a lot of information, some factual, some very confusing. And more than ever, that partnership with your provider is helpful to sort of clear out a lot of that confusion that sometimes comes from all of those sources. Yes. You know, as you were talking about, you know, doctors and diagnosis and you know, it occurred to me, I teach a program called Systematic Troubleshooting, and we teach uh, folks in the factory, they come up on a machine that just stopped. You know, how do you figure out what caused that problem when you weren't there when it happened? And what steps do you take to get to your probable cause? And I started thinking about that in relationship to doctors. When you walk in, people say, well, I've got this ache or this pain or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't know the person that well. They only, they only see him once a year. And so they they do figure out probable causes. Did they hear that before? Have they heard it before? What did they? How did they find out that that was the reason to cause? And, you know, blood tests, obviously, we have a lot of tools doctors have. Blood tests and MRIs and CAT scans and all kinds of other things. So they use that process of elimination to get to the probable cause, which I think is terrific. But it occurred to me that doctors are troubleshooters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not a doctor, but doc, let me let me jump in there for a minute. It troubleshooters if you have good insurance. Not all, not all. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the doc may push back on me, but a lot of times, a lot of those tests are based on what kind of insurance you have, too. In my opinion. Oh yeah, doctor, your viewpoint. It's why we have financial navigators and our foundation that we rely on heavily to be able to provide resources to patients that 
that don't have resources. It's one of the reasons why we have Novant Nourishes, which is a program that identifies if you're food insecure, that we find resources even within our own clinics to be able to provide emergency food packs. Absolutely. Um, We have patients who have many different social determinants of health needs, including not having insurance or being underinsured. And we always want to make sure that we create situations where regardless of that, patients get the care that they need. And you are absolutely right. That isn't true across the entire country. And Uh, Now, which one else is right? Bill, the good looking black guy or Odell, the good looking white guy? (laughs) Well, I can see the both of you and I'm going to say you're both good looking. And in this instance, you're both right. One of the things that you were talking about was what does the doctor do when the person keeps not listening to to instructions. And one of the things that we realize is we used to say patients are non-compliant, but that isn't always the case. Sometimes they're non-adherent. Wow. And I go back to that place where you described a patient that didn't have access to healthy food or someone that doesn't have a pharmacy nearby. So it's not that they don't want to be healthy. It's that their environment doesn't necessarily allow them the opportunity. So as you were talking about what's a doctor to do, what I hope the doctor and the advanced practice provider does is ask more questions, seek to understand, because I have found that many people want to live healthy lives and don't want to have disability from stroke and heart disease and their situation doesn't always allow them to be adherent to the instructions. And it requires that that trusted partnership and conversation about, tell me a little bit more about what stops you from achieving the goals that we set together the last time we talked to each other. Yes. You know, you, you bring up two things. What we teach in this troubleshooting is ask a lot of questions. And we use an example, the EMTs. When an EMT comes up on a particular situation, they don't start jamming them with needles and doing stuff. They ask them a lot of questions. I think it's called SAMPLE is the acronym they use. But, you know, they want to know, are you on medication? What did you take? When was the last time you took it? You know, what day is it? You know, and things like that. And before you get involved in trying to work on a solution, and I I think what you just described, building that bond and that relationship with your patient so that you feel as a partnership, you're trying to help each other he or she is trying to help you get better and you're trying to understand what they're talking about. So I think, I think that is a great step in, along the way. The other thing is that have you heard of adverse childhood experiences and the effect it has on medical issues later on in life? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the things that often impacts the the mental health and well-being of, of patients as they, as they mature in age um, and depending on where you grow up and your your life environments, you you often can um, ide- we often identify children who grow up to to have additional heart disease and stroke from some of the stressors that they had growing up. Mental health is a really big component of this. And I don't know if people often think about that, but major depressive disorder as a result of having adverse childhood, events in your in your life are is a real thing post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome and disorder also we see that people have increased risk for cardiovascular disease 
as a result of that. When those conversations with trusted partners happen, we get the opportunity to, I'm going to call it unpack, to be able to unpack some of those life experiences that people have in order to be able to understand why there may be mistrust with people in their families or mistrust even between them and their healthcare providers. It's an important conversation to have. It is. You know, we have a our nonprofit and Odell's been involved with, it's called Youth in North Carolina. And we do a, a youth resilient summit that it talks about. We bring speakers in from around the country to talk about adverse childhood experiences and how do you make youth resilient to them? And as even as adults, how do you deal with it? And uh, I'd like to invite you. We've got one in Wilmington. It's our third one. We did one in Greensboro and in Raleigh, and we're going to do one in Cleveland with the Cleveland Clinic in Case Western Reserve in april but we're doing one in wilmington in august love to have you come down to that if you if you are available i've got your email through your staff and i'll send you an invite and if you're available could please come as our guest i would love it you know we're based in winston-salem north carolina but we serve communities around wilmington and charlotte and now south carolina i'd love to have that opportunity okay, that'll be great and, and when we get we're going to do another one in in this area so maybe we'll do the next one up in Forsyth county and uh, get Novin Health involved with it as well. Well, that sounds great. Doc, let me ask a question as we turn toward close. So, been married for 38 years, totally in love with my wife. Not always, but we get up every day, and this is our system. We try to walk about four, 4.2 miles every day. If we get five in a week, that's an A. If we get four days in a week, that's a B. If we get three days in a week, it's a C. And we walk. And we get up early in the morning. We start our day off, probably start getting on the track around six o'clock in the morning. We walk, we talk, we pray, we just share with each other. And I believe, just me, that the healthy relationship with someone who you love and love you and someone you could care. And we talk about the kids, talk about our relationship, talking about the grandkids, talking about retirement. You talk about me? <laughs> I guess that's a no. I guess that's a no. Healthy. <laughs> how healthy it is, because I didn't have that example growing up. You know, unfortunately, uh, my parents got divorced, <clears throat> so I didn't have that thing. And the whole idea of trusting and loving and being in a meaningful, caring, healthy relationship, I just think that makes a difference. What do you think? I absolutely believe that isolation is a huge challenge. I think we saw that a lot during the the pandemic. Those people who had a village, whether it was a, a spouse or a partner or siblings, that connectivity or just other people in the community. What we see often in patients who are senior in age is they become more and more isolated, um, which puts them at risk for having challenges with depression. And then ultimately some of the chronic diseases that that we've talked about. So I think it was a, a two for one special there. You had the relationship and the exercise. So what a, what you know what an amazing story because I do think that having accountability to each other to get up yes. every morning and yes. to do that walking is is also important. It's a little bit harder sometimes. I'll speak for myself. It's easier for me uh, if I know someone's waiting for me to put my 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 tennis shoes on and get out there and walk with them than if I have to get up and do it do it myself. Yes. And, and so I think that partnership in your medical journey is important. Having mm -hmm. someone to talk to 
um, and vent to also incredibly important. And that can be a friend, that can be a colleague, that can be a spouse. But I do think that we should be aware of those in our communities that are socially isolated and reach out to them and help them to see where they might be able to have a village and that kind of connection. You know, Odell, you I'm going that? to add something. You, it was a twofer, doctor. You said the exercise and relationship. I'm going to add a third. What's that? Eat a carrot while you're doing it. Eat a carrot. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, well, now, doctor, you said someone to talk to, but you also said someone to vent to. Why is that important? At least I think I heard you say vent. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we often see is that if you don't have an outlet, so if you're stressed and you can't talk to someone, or if you don't have an exercise routine or a way to meditate, you started off with prayer. For some people, it's prayer. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's just talking, talking it out, sharing their feelings, Sometimes that can even decrease your blood pressure and help you to relax. You talked about resiliency today. Sometimes building that resiliency comes from, uh, Bill, you talked about solutions. So having that conversation and finding some of the solutions to the challenges that you face, also important. Yes, they are. And I think we're going to end with uh, two things. One is, Doctor, is there something that you wanted to say that we haven't touched? And then I'm going to, my last question to you be is, could you suggest one thing for everybody of our listeners to do to help them manage in their health? Well, I love the fact that we've talked about communities that are at greatest risk. In my career as a physician, multiple decades, one of the surprises that I um, still have is when I meet people who haven't been to a doctor who thought they were healthy, and it turns out they have two, three, four risk factors wow. for heart disease wow. and stroke. And so I hope that what your listeners have heard is that they may feel healthy, but there are things that are silent killers. Hypertension is one of them that you don't necessarily have symptoms until you have a major event. And so I, I, I would leave your audience with that, which also says, what do you need to do? And so what you need to do is know your, you know your numbers. I watched you whip out your phone and you, you had them there. I can't tell you how important it is to, to know your numbers, but not just know your numbers, know when they're right and know when they're wrong and to have that conversation with your doctor and be an advocate for yourself and say, because sometimes providers will say you're, you're doing well, but I have had patients say, and I want to do, I want, I want to do better. Is there something else that I can do? I know my blood pressure is great. My cholesterol is great. My sugar is great, but what can I do to make sure it stays great? And I think being an advocate for yourself is incredibly important. Not many people can do it without a primary care doctor, particularly communities that are most at risk for stroke and cardiovascular disease. Bill, she said sugar. Yeah. She, she said your sugar. See, she slipped in it. Yeah. She said sugar, not diabetes, sugar, Bill. So you understand, we understand we got sugar. Yeah. Well, I've never heard it described that way, but I'm sure I'm sure sugar is not good for you. I don't I don't use salt and I use very little sugar. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, doctor, there's plenty of it in uh, other things in your food that you don't know about. But, you know, sure. Bill, one of the things to doc, we, Bill and myself uh, and our wives, we travel a lot together. And when we go to Paris or London, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, I thought they barred 
Mountain Dew or one of the soft drinks when we were in Paris or was that in London? Which one? London and Paris both have barred Mountain Dew because of the sugar and the caffeine content. Doc, have you ever heard of that? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, people talk about blue zones in the world where where there's healthier diets and, and healthier behaviors that are that are embedded into into cultures. And so I hope over time that you know, they don't have to ban it, that people just ultimately choose healthier choices for, for themselves. But I, I have heard that um, there's been more focus on, on healthy diets, even in our school system, trying to put healthier machines in, in schools with healthier choices. I think that's something that overall, we as a country in America can do better to identify the good choices on the menu and the choices that have more sugar and more salt in them. So there's always some healthy choices along the way. You know, now there is something I got to tell you. There's some good sugar. Is this confession time? It is. It go is. ahead. Confess. Because I'm going to confess something yeah. too. Go ahead. Because I'll go up to Dory and I'll send my wife and I said, give me some sugar. Oh, and she'll Lord. kiss me. Oh, Lord. Now, now his wife is an organ donor. Can you tell a little bit about that, Bill? Yeah. Both my wife and daughter have donated kidneys, uh, which is uh, very proud of them for doing that. And I don't think I could do that. Well, in fact, I know I couldn't. Well, my sister is a double lung transplant. Uh, she received lungs, so we thank God for the donor. Now, I have a confession, doctor. Now, I've given up the pig feet. Have you really? <laughs> I've given up pig feet, Bill. Wow. But a Geechee from South Carolina, that I'm proud to say, rice and chicken feet with gravy when I go home sometime. Oh, and my man. wife's 103-year-old oh. grandmother, oh, she eats grits and chicken feet for breakfast just about every day. Oh, my goodness. So if you see Odell with a chicken, we don't say chicken foot, chicken feet, Bill, mm -hmm. it's chicken feet. Now, I went in Walmart, doctor, and they call them prongs. I'm like, when in the world did my <laughs> Chicken feet turn into prawn. <laughs> see, Bill, see, Bill, it, 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 I don't understand it. But the South Carolina Geechee from the dirt roads of South Carolina, you know, what, is it, what, is it, what does a chicken prawn taste like? It tastes like a chicken feet. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> tastes like chicken. You never had chicken feet before, my friend? Uh, no. Okay. I have had very rarely have I had chicken livers. Oh, Lord. Oh, Doctor, what can I do? But with I, I've had glunky. What's glunky? Stuffed cabbage. Okay. Where are you from again? <laughs> Parma. Parma. Yeah. Black people in Parma. There's not one, but then we don't have chicken feet. <laughs> you don't know, have chicken They feet. never saw Did chicken. Did y'all have chicken in Parma? We might have some place. Okay. You have, do you know the difference between a yard hen and a what hen? And one we buy from the store, the difference. You no. all probably say farm raised or free graze or something like that. Yeah. Ours are free, then we shoot it. <laughs> 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 Doctor, listen, thank you so much. I just really appreciate it. I hope you had as much fun as we had. And the American Heart Association uh, is American Heart Month and, you know, just good work. So, again, to all my brothers out there who know that you have to go get that prostate exam, just go get it. Love your wife enough. Love your significant other enough. Love your children enough. Just grandchildren, live live just go get checked out it's not a big deal it's nothing with your manhood just go get checked out because i believe doctor that if we catch these things early enough or earlier we have a better chance of surviving is that correct absolutely i couldn't have said it better myself thank you doctor for being a guest on our show and i look forward to seeing you at the summit look forward to it thanks so much 
Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.